Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. To be one of the best teams in the world, we'd have to prove that in the biggest competitions. In swing delivery and Harry Kane guides it in. With the players that we've got, like, we want to be challenging. We want to get to the final. Here's Sancho for Foden. Three. You don't get many opportunities like this to represent your country at you know, a major tournament, so I think the most important thing is, is to embrace it and, and, of course, enjoy it. Played in towards the far post and put in beautifully by Jadon Sancho. The quality is very high. Yeah, we have got a lot of young players that can play at the highest level, and we're seeing that this year. They're on the front foot again here with Sterling. Sterling making his way forward. Rashford, 3-0! We've got to get the, the right balance, find the players that are in form, find the players that we think are our best players for different games, but we're going to need them all. It is here, finally, 12 months after a delay, and we are on the way to the group stages of the European Championships. We've got every game covered on Talk Sport, and you're in the right place if you want the perfect preview. We've got two previews upcoming. We're going to talk a lot about England, Scotland, Czech Republic, and Croatia in this podcast, as well as the group of death, the so-called group of death, uh, which is the uh, Group F involving Germany, the world champions, France, the European champions, Portugal, and Hungary, who are a host nation. Uh, we're also going to talk about some experiences that we've had at major tournaments before. Uh, and later on this week, there'll also be a second podcast previewing groups A, B, C, and E. So you're fully covered going into the major tournament, the European Championships, which starts on Friday evening with Italy uh, against um, Turkey live from Rome on Talk Sport. Very much looking forward to things getting underway. We've got an expert panel. Later on, we'll be joined by Kevin Hatchard. He'll also be part of our big uh, A, B, uh, C and E podcast later in the week. And Marcel van der Kran from uh, the Dutch camp is coming. And he's got a huge story which has just broken uh, from that camp uh, upcoming. So make sure you stick around uh, for that. And uh, we've got Alex Krupp with us, as always, on the Game Dog podcast. You are right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm buzzing now. Uh, I'm off to Glasgow on Sunday. Can't wait to get there now. Really looking forward to getting swept up yeah. in, in a major tournament. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, well, we brought Alex along, not because he was fit and ready to actually contribute, but he's good around the place. You know, he's great with card tricks and he does a little sing song with his guitar <laughs> and he puts on a quiz at night. Um, Trevor Sinclair is here as well. He knows what it's like to go to a major tournament with England eventually after a round the world trip. How are you? 
I'm very well, Sam. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I gave you a little mention, actually, on the television the other night. We were talking about players needing to be ready. Uh, and I talked about your uh, your trip back from Jeju Island all the way to the UK via the uh, the bar in first class. Uh, <laughs> and then sleeping very much on the second uh, the flight back. Um, then, trip. Should we start talking about England then? Because obviously... There was a lot of excitement. We had the two friendlies. I think maybe some of that excitement sort of just sort of dampened down a little bit. I know even by looking at the odds for the tournament, England were the favourites going into the beginning of June, the end of May, beginning of June. Now they've slipped pretty much the second favourites behind France. I think that's probably more accurate anyway, because France undoubtedly probably the best team in the tournament and we'll get to them. But one of England's big advantages, Trevor, is that they play a lot of games at Wembley. They're not the only ones that are playing games on the home turf. Germany have got the, uh, uh, the the pleasure of playing in Munich, which is great for them. We've got Italy playing in Rome, Scotland playing at Hamden. How important is it, do you think, the role of supporters in this tournament? Well, it's going to be important because we've got um, some serious issues going on with football. Um, I read the penned letter that um, Gareth put out to the fans uh, yesterday. I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was from the heart. It was very genuine. And I feel if the fans can jump on board with that and his sentiment and, and the way that he feels about England and how we're evolving as a nation, as a football nation, and not get confused with politics, and the fans do get behind us, I think it could be inspiring for the players. So, yeah, excellent um, that we're at home. Excellent that we're at Wembley. Um, I didn't have the fortune of playing at Wembley because it was under reconstruction when I was playing for England. So I was a little bit sad about that. But it's a special place. I was fortunate enough to, to play in the playoffs. It's especially The old Wembley was a special place. The new Wembley is a special place. Managed to play in the FA Cup final and the players will be inspired. And one player in particular that we'll probably go on to talk about later who was, who was born around the corner, was brought up around the corner, Raheem Sterling. I think it could be very, very special for that individual. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that knee issue which has caused quite a bit of consternation over the last week or so I mean we know the issues surrounding it England have made it very very clear Gareth has reiterated that in his open letter this is not a political statement this is about equality imagine being a young black kid playing for England would you really want to start that match with booze ringing in your ear because you decide to stand up for the way uh, that you wanted to be treated and other people of your race to be treated any sort of discrimination is wrong I think we all buy into that and I think the idea that people don't buy into that is quite unsettling um, it's difficult isn't it because I, th- I think last week I was I was of the opinion there was a lack of understanding about, amongst people watching about what what the knee represented this week I don't think there can be that excuse because it's been made so vehemently clear I, I can't believe we're still discussing it to be honest I can't believe given that football fans haven't been able to watch their club, their country for the best part of 18 months, that the immediate thought upon getting back into the ground is is to boo a group of young players taking the knee. Um, And I would go as far as to say that if you do do that, then you have racist beliefs because the reason they're taking the knee is to stand up against discrimination. If you feel the need to boo that, I think you have to have a serious look at your own morality. And away from that element, this this is a major tournament played on home soil 
what psychological impact does it have on the likes of, of Marcus Rashford, who clearly has done so much during the pandemic, yeah. Jaden Sancho, a, a young player, <clears throat> trying to make an impact to this tournament, Jude Bellingham, Raheem Sterling, as we said, who grew up around the corner. I think it's going to knock them off their stride. And I think it was a factor in two below-par performances in those warm-up friendly matches. And I would implore anybody who is considering turning up at Wembley and booing the players when they take the knee to have a long, hard look at themselves because we have home advantage. Don't turn that into a disadvantage. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, we've seen it elsewhere as well, by the way. In Budapest, I think, in, in midweek, the Republic of Ireland team took the knee and the, and the Hungarian supporters booed rather vociferously in that mm. friendly game, which was not a nice experience for anybody watching, listening or taking part. I did wonder, actually, if during that game against Romania, Tyro Mings made a mistake in the first 30 seconds. And I was concerned, actually, that, that maybe that the booing just before kickoff did unsettle him and others in that team. I do hope that's not the case. I know Gareth's had a long conversation with the players to ascertain whether or not that was the case. They wanted to continue to do it. I think the key thing is is to try and... I mean, he wants to move on from it. The players want to move on from it. They want to just do their thing, but they're not going to give up. They're going to keep doing it. And I think that's important. They've, they're making their stand and we go from there. On the field itself, no host has won a European Championship since 1984. And in fact, I think only France have won a World Cup as hosts over the course of the last 40 years as well. I think it's, it's something that is overplayed sometimes, home advantage. But at the end of a very long season, a concertina season, where there's a lot of fatigue mentally, and physically, the idea of keeping the same training base or, or splitting between two very similar training bases, being in the same country, not doing as much travelling, is probably quite an advantage, isn't it, Trevor? It's got to be. It's got to be. Um, I think one of the things um, that I remember from the tournament is we had a lot of travelling. You know, I, I'm not sure you how did. big compared to... Yeah, well, that, that was going to and back, back and to uh, Japan. But I'm not sure how big it is as a country, but because it's, I think, quite a mountainous country, there was a lot of flights involved, a lot of coach journeys. We was on an island as well. Um, and I think the training, the training base has got to be ideal. So you need the training base to be... Um, obviously top quality for the players, the pitches can't be too far away, obviously all the setup, the medical and, and all the food and everything has to be right. Um, but I think it is an advantage when you can just get back to base, get showered, get your rehab starting, whatever you're doing to, to get yourself uh, back in a, a performance ready uh, shape. And uh, all the travelling does take that away from you. And the, the, the more time you're travelling, the less time you've got to concentrate on doing all the stretching and all the other stuff that you need to do. So it's an advantage that we're, we're playing all our games um, at Wembley. And I think the players will appreciate familiar surroundings because obviously they're used to playing at home. They're used to playing at Wembley. And um, yeah, that'll give them some comfort because one thing I do remember about being in Japan is your support mechanism around you isn't there. You know, we didn't have the families out there. We were 6,000 miles from home. And having everything quite familiar that you've been doing over the years, some of them not too many years because there's a few new call-ups, but still at home and uh, definitely having, you know, that contact and, and that familiarity around you. Well, that is a key thing, actually, isn't it? You know, you mentioned there's a few new call-ups. Alex, at 15, well, actually 16 now because of uh, Ben White's inclusion in the squad, of the 26, are, are making a first appearance at a major tournament. Um, we talk a lot about the, the talent in the England squad, but it's fresh talent, isn't it? 
Yeah, and that would be a little bit of a concern for me, and I think that's why Gareth Southgate, despite the criticism that he's received in doing so from some quarters, was so desperate to include the likes of Harry Maguire and Jordan Henderson, two such pivotal parts of the success at the last World Cup. They have that tournament experience. They have the experience of playing for the two biggest clubs in England. And I take with a pinch of salt what Roy Keane said. It was a great soundbite on television, but Trev will know you do need those characters um, in the travelling party, particularly when you've got a 26-man squad. Had it been a 23-man squad, I'm not convinced he would have taken Harry Maguire and possibly not Jordan Henderson either, but they, those three extra places do give him that flexibility. And these young players are going to need to be nursed through it to a certain extent. Having said that, when you look at the likes of Ben White and that friendly against Romania, you can say it was only a friendly but that was his audition to get into the squad and he grabbed it with both hands. Yeah. He has that fearlessness of youth and that will be the same for the likes of Bellingham as well. I've got to say he was brilliant in the game. He was absolutely superb and I think some of the work that he does actually goes unseen. For example, he was the first one out when there was someone to charge down. He was getting there quicker than everybody else. He was backing up his goalkeeper. He was behind him. It was His whole positional play was absolutely superb and I think a lot of that work went under the radar. Um, he's also incredibly good looking, Trevor. He's got a great tan as well. Yeah, yeah. Listen, why are we surprised? You know, I think there was rumours that Liverpool were interested yeah. in Leeds. Definitely, I don't think we are surprised actually. I think you know, Alex Crook has been uh, uh, having a bit of a row with Danny Mills for a long time about the fact that mm. uh, he, he, <laughs> Ben White should be more highly rated than he is. Well, I, th- I think there was Manchester City connections as well, maybe one or two years ago, and obviously Ruben Diaz going in there that might have calmed that down. But I think he's a top player, and the fact that Leeds and Bielsa wanted him back at Leeds yeah. means one he's fit able he, he stands up he's he's um, one of them players that you can rely on because he, he doesn't suffer any fools Bielsa and for me there was a there was a little bit of a clamour for his signature last summer when he went back to um, Brighton and I'm 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 pleased for him I mean there's a, a few similarities between myself I wasn't in the squad and I was in the squad all of a sudden there's an injury I got brought into the squad and I think he could end up being a surprise package now whether he's going to start the first game I probably doubt that, but if there's any injuries or there's any anyone showing slightest bit of lacking of confidence or performance in training, I think Southgate will be happy to put him in at centre half. I think the England problem is is that the defence is the weakest part of their game, especially because yeah. Harry Maguire isn't available, may not be available for the whole tournament if we're completely honest, because of the level of our ankle mm. ligament damage. Um, but I don't think you need to get off to the fastest of starts. I think we've said this before, actually winning the group of the European Championships sometimes can hinder you. Only three teams since 1988 have won their group and then gone on to lift the trophy. And the route through the tournament is better if you don't finish top <laughs> of your group. And we've seen that because whatever happens, they're going to bump into Portugal, France or, or, or possibly um, Germany in the round of 16 or in the quarterfinals if they're first or second in the group. I don't think you can overthink that, but I think England have done a lot of study, Alex, about the fact that it's defensive teams that win tournaments. You go back to Greece in 2004, you look at France in the World Cup in 2018, Portugal in 2016. Let's be honest, teams that win major tournaments, by and large, are pretty dull. And that's a problem because you've already highlighted it, that, that England's back line is the weakest part of their team. It's not just the back line. I still have major doubts about Jordan Pickford. I understand why Gareth Southgate is sticking with him as number one because he's never let the national team down and, and maybe ha- he has that personality um, that thrives under the pressure uh, of playing at major tournaments. Certainly the World Cup seemed to bring the best out of him, but 
undoubtedly England's best form of defence is to attack. That will get them out of the group. Will it get them any deeper in the draw? I'm not sure. And there seems to be a narrative uh, at the moment that anything less than a semi-final appearance would be deemed a failure on behalf of Gareth Southgate. I don't subscribe to that at all. You've mentioned the draw already. If they win their group, they play um, the team who finished second in the group of death. If they come second in their group, they play one of those teams, Portugal, France or Germany, in the quarterfinals. So for me, the quarterfinals is the ceiling of their is the ceiling of their ambitions. If they get beyond that, I think it will be a wonderful tournament. But part of the reasons we were so successful in the World Cup was because there was no expectation from the public and from the media going into that campaign. We overachieved. Okay, the draw opened up kindly for us. I don't understand where this clamour for England to be in the last four has come from because they've got injury problems in key areas. They've got a lot of young players in the squad, as you know. And ultimately you can name at least three better equipped teams than England to go and win the tournament. Periodisation is really important here and the way that they use their squads, Trevor. Um, I know that England have, uh, have looked at the way that France used Griezmann um, in the 2018 World Cup campaign and how he never played more than 60 minutes. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of England getting to 60, 70 minutes if they're winning a game the removal of Harry Kane or the removal of a key player in order to try and keep the... the the most important assets of the squad fit for long, as long as possible. Yeah, and if you're playing 90 minutes uh, game in, game out, they're going to be tired and fatigued by the end of the tournament. And actually, when you think about it, for me, when I look at football as a fundamental, your defenders, you want them to be reliable, stick into task, communicate well, always be aware the concentration's great and not really pull up any trees, to be honest. When you're talking about your forwards, that's where you want a bit of magic and that's where you need the freshness and the sharpness. And luckily, I think we've got we've got like two front lines of players uh, within our ranks. So I think rotation is going to be really important for um, the England squad. I think it's going to be important for uh, results because you look at the Croatia game. Now we're talking about they're quite an ages side. You want speed, you want speed against them. But when they're tired, you want a bit of guile and players that have got the ability to unlock them. So I feel we'll probably go with a Raheem and maybe maybe even a Rashford as well, but maybe just one of them. But as the game goes into them 60, 70 minutes, we will make changes and be able to unlock them. We've just got to make sure that the defenders that are chosen are doing their job. And it's a fundamental job, defend. Defenders defend. If they defend and communicate and, and always be prepared for us losing possession and be ready to deal with that, I think we can have a really good tournament. Alex? I think the Marcus Rashford situation is a really interesting one because he's been such a reliable foot soldier for Gareth Southgate, not just in terms of what he's contributed on the pitch for England, but also off the pitch. We know from that very impressive letter that Gareth Southgate wrote a few days ago, he values that pride in the shirt and the fact his players are role models. For me, Rashford's form in the second half of the season doesn't warrant a starting berth. And I do wonder just on what Trevor was saying there, is Rashford best served in this tournament, bearing in mind that he's admitted he's not fully fit, there there could be an operation in the summer, to come on as an impact sub when defences are tired. If I was Gareth Southgate, that's the way I would be looking to utilise Marcus Rashford. The the same could be said about uh, Raheem Sterling. You know, with his probably second half of the season, he's not been brilliant. He's not been to the standards that he's set for himself. And, um, you know, for me as a manager, I mean, loyalty is one of the the, the, the the things that can get in the way as a manager because players that have done it for you in the past, you want to you want to be loyal back to them because they you know run through brick walls for you. But actually, if you're going on form, you're picking a, 
I know Grealish has not been back that long, but even when he came back, he did really well. You're looking at Foden, you're looking at Mount, you're looking at players like this, Sancho even, at the end of the season he had, uh, Borussia Dortmund. So it's, it's getting that balance right and it's making them decisions right. And that's why, you know, Gareth's in the job and that's why he will... You know, people will rate him on what teams he puts out against the different opposition. It certainly, look, it, it certainly does sort of raise the question: what is the starting eleven, and whether he plays a four or a three? I think most people think he's going to play a three against Croatia. But I look at the team and think, if he plays a three against Croatia, that takes out one of those attacking places, and you've got you know, Sancho, Foden, Mount, uh, Grealish. You've got Sterling, Rashford, all vying for those places in and around Harry Kane, it's going to be very difficult. I think if you actually do play a four, which I think you can, you can play Rice in front of that back four, who can drop into to make a three if necessary, and Bellingham and Mount alongside him, that gives you much more of an attacking dynamic. Well, I mentioned on the boot room on, on Sunday, and Darren Bent was having none of it, that you, you can play Declan Rice as the third central defender. We saw that Tyrone Ming struggled in that game against Romania. For me, Connor Cody's club form this season doesn't warrant a starting berth and I do worry uh, for him against top class international opponents. Declan Rice could easily slot into that centre-back role and, and for me give England a more solid foundation. I know he hasn't played there much for West Ham if at all but he certainly played there for Chelsea uh, in the youth teams and, and that would solve the conundrum in many ways of how you manage to get Mason Mount, Foden and Jack Grealish all in the same team. And, and that shouldn't surprise us as well, because if you look at the way that Spain have played over the last 15, 10, 15 years, Sergio Busquets has done that job superbly yeah. well. You know, he's come back and made that three central defenders when the fullbacks have pushed on. I think we're missing a trick. If we don't look at what Thomas Tuchel has done with Chelsea and play a 3-4-3, I really do feel we're missing a trick. You'd get three forward players in, you'd have a... But it's whether we can get... Whether we've got the players to play a three at the back. I think Kyle Walker could do that. Obviously, we know that Reese James can do that job as a right centre-half. It's just on the left-hand left side, hand side, if you're going to put, say, a Stones, is a Tyrone Mings good enough in that left inside back position or would you be uh, willing to play a Shaw? Because although he's not got the size Shaw, as a one-on-one -on -one defender, I think he could do a really good job. But then yeah. you've got two five foot eight guys who are playing either side of John Stones. That could be a risk which, in itself. Which is okay against certain teams, but not against the Czech Republic when they're all about, you know, six <laughs> foot five. Um, look, you know, uh, three group games, ultimately it's harder to get knocked out at this stage than it is to go through. There's 24 teams in the tournament 16 go through, only eight go out. I mean, literally, you've got to be really bad to go out of this tournament at the group stage, he says. And then this comes back to haunt him in two weeks' time. Um, look, I think they'll be lucky if they get past the last 16, not because I don't think they're a good team, England. I actually think they're very good, especially going forward. But I just think the injury at the back is going to hamper them. And I think you know, I've got a lot of respect for the nations that they could come up against. And that's the key thing. In a one-on-one -on -one game against France, the best team probably in the world, or... Portugal, a team that have been together for a very long time and have got a lot of talent, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult. But my fingers are crossed and I'm hoping for a very long run. If they get through that game, whatever that game is, if it's quarterfinals or last 16 against that team who emerges from Group F, I think they'll go on to have a fantastic tournament. But they've got to get past Scotland first. Scotland have done it! 
it. It's great to be involved in the tournament. We want to go to the tournament. We want to be competitive. Driven ball in is an excellent equalising goal. Lyndon Dykes first for his country. I think the mindset and the goals of all the players are pretty clear. They're all driven individuals, which helps a driven team. Fraser! It's 1-1! Scotland are level! Ryan Fraser! We can go down and do our usual, hopefully, and that's cause an upset. First game's vital for us. That's a game we can win. It's absolutely stunning for James Forrest! What a goal for Scotland! I think we're in a really good place. We look at club side, actually. I think the spirit looks really good. Andy Robertson, and he scored! Terrific finish by the Liverpool man! We're going there with the intention to get out of the group, of course. There's no point in going if you're just going there to make up the numbers. We're going there to be as competitive as we can be. As if by magic, a Scotsman appears. Ah, and ladies and gentlemen, delighted to say that David Tanner is here. Terrific, absolutely terrific. Ready for Wembley. Are you excited? Are that, you that's the key thing. Uh, yeah, very much so. I'm in Darlington at the moment. Just arrived in Darlington. Sun is split in the streets, all ready to rock. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the team that we can expect. I mean, I was talking to someone earlier today uh, who expects very much that, um, and I think Crook, who's working for TalkSport as uh, Scotland's commentator uh, extraordinaire, uh, this uh, this tournament. Both Jock it- Crook, as we're calling him. Sorry? What are you Jock calling him? Crook. Jock Crook. Jock Crook, are you? All right, Jock. So. Okay, all right. Honorary Jock. All right, well, we'll take that. We'll take that. That that that, that will stick, I'm sure. Um, I noticed that he's wearing navy blue on. I was going to say, I noticed yeah. that he's wearing the navy blue. But, oh, look at that! I've got, the, I've got this for you, and this is a replica shirt, Alex. Love uh, it. The Argentina 1978 Umbro Scotland top. So yeah, that is I want beautiful. You to be wearing that. Including at Wembley, by the way. So get one for Sam for Wembley as well. <laughs> so it right. doesn't come in your size, but I'm going to this fella. I'll have you know my stepfather is Scottish. He's from Govan in Glasgow. So I have got a little bit of a sweet spot for, for Scotland. Well, we'll get one sorted out then. <laughs> this is, pro- this is jet- proper Archie Gemmell stuff. Look, obviously, the atmosphere in Glasgow has been brilliant. And TalkSport has been building up to the tournament by uh, bringing the breakfast show from Glasgow for most of the week. And, and you can hear that the, the idea especially as it's just started to open up a little bit up there. The idea that a major tournament is coming back for the first time in, in 23 years and there's games at home makes a massive difference. But what sort of approach for those who haven't seen much of Scotland will they employ? Because Steve Clark is quite a wily tactician. I remember when he was in charge of Kilmarnock, he was getting the best out of uh, not a limited group of players, a good group of players, but he was getting the best of Brendan Rodgers and Rangers at the time. His team's not sparkle. Let's be honest about it. But they get the job done. They're very, very compact, very organised. Slightly reminiscent of Walter Smith Scotland teams, actually. And they pulled off some terrific results, most notably against France at Hampden Park when they mugged uh, the French. So they're not uh, starting to watch. But the one thing I'll say about Steve Clark is he is so reassuring. There was a COVID crisis last week. There's no doubt about that. When John Fleck, uh, tested positive for COVID and then uh, there were no close contacts uh, but there were people who there were seven players who were close to him but not close enough to be deemed close contacts um, but when Steve Clark came in and spoke about it he just calmed everything down he's never up, he's never down, he's steady Eddie and I think assured leadership 
um, has guided them through that crisis. Um, one thing, and I'm interested in what you guys think about this, I think Scotland got it right by picking the 26-man squad at the beginning and then sticking with it. Because I look at what's happened to England. Scotland did none of that. Steve picked his 26 and stuck with it. And I think that's given a lot of stability and a lot less, uh, uh, a lot fewer headlines of the negative variety about the Scotland team. David, I couldn't agree more. Um, being on the wrong end of that, and which ended up working out, it's, um, it's painful. Um, it's traumatic. Um, mentally, you're all over the place because you know you're not in that 26, so to speak, and you're just like a, an add-on. You're a squad, you're a bit of a support role. And then getting cut um, before we left Dubai, uh, but then being told, we get, we're cutting you, but we want you as the 24th man out of a 23-man squad. That's quite an uncomfortable situation as well. But I agree with you. I think that the drama that's uh, been a, around the England squad has been, uh, has been unnecessary. He could quite easily have said to the seven or eight players, keep fit because there's a chance that you're still going to come, but we'll keep it under hat. Just keep fit, whatever you're doing. And then if we get any injuries, that, you're on the list. That's not true, though. That's list. not true. He couldn't have done that. It was impossible for him to do that because of the qualification of Chelsea and Manchester City for the Champions League final. The fact is they had a game on the Wednesday after that, which they couldn't use those players for. And there were seven of those plus two injured players. So he couldn't have done He needed to have a, a bolt-up squad. He, his hands were tied by the fact that UEFA make you play two games going into a tournament. I think what it has enabled Scotland to do, though, and I think this has been a theme of, of Steve Clark's management, is to create this club mentality at international level because, of course, they've been to the, the warm weather training camp in Spain. They've been to the Algarve as well to play the game against Holland. And, and they've been really united in the build-up to the tournament. And I think that's important because, clearly, 1-11, to 11, England have better players than Scotland. But I think that team spirit uh, could count for a lot. Two big decisions, David, for Steve Clark to make before the first game. I think we probably know nine of the 11 that will start against the Czech Republic at Hamden. Uh, will it be Stephen O'Donnell at right back or will he be right wing back or will he be more ambitious and pick James Forrest? Does Ryan Christie come in and play alongside Lyndon Dykes or would you expect Steve Clark to continue with that Shea Adams-Dykes axis? Well, I think there is uh, there are decisions to be made up the right-hand side. You're absolutely right about that. First of all, the right-hand side of the back three, Kieran Tierney um, and Grant Hanley, I think, picked themselves. Declan Gallagher got the, the right-hand uh, position in the back three uh, against Luxembourg. It was young Jack Henry, uh, who's been uh, a revelation on loan at Ostend in Belgium from Celtic this year. Um, quite why Celtic let him go. Um, uh, was is, is beyond me, but that's another story. Um, so there's a decision to be made there at uh, the right-hand side of the back three. And you're right, right wing-back position is certainly something he has to think about. Um, Stephen O'Donnell was somebody who did a really good job for Steve Clark at Kilmarnock. Now, it's not an old pal, Zach. Uh, Stephen O'Donnell got his first caps under Alex McLeish um, just over a couple of years ago. So that is a big decision. The one you didn't mention there was young uh, Nathan Patterson, a teenager from Rangers. I think mm. he would have played more at Rangers had the captain, James Tavernier, not been such a revelation uh, last mm. season. Uh, but when he did come in, when Tavernier got injured, he absolutely shone. Had a COVID idiot um, ban, of course, when a number of uh, players were caught at a, a night out. Um, but he made his debut against Luxembourg. And he gave an energy um, and a verve in attack. Defensively, he really wasn't uh, troubled. And to be honest with you, I've not seen much of Nathan Patterson defensively, even for Rangers. So 
I'm not entirely sure whether O'Donnell or Patterson, which of the two are the, the best defenders. James Forrest, of course, is a key player for Celtic. Missed about six months of the season through injury, um, and Scotland missed him as well. Um, he's not great defensively, of course. He is very much a, an old-fashioned winger. It does, if you play him at right wing back, it does give you an opportunity to get him in the team. However, um, and that might be an option for the Czech game, the Czech, the weaker of the three opponents in this group for Scotland, uh, whether he would dare to have uh, a right wing back, um, a winger is on the right for the England game and the Croatian game, I'd be surprised. So that's a big choice. And yeah, the third decision up front, does he go with a, a does he go with one up top or does he go with the front two? Shea Adams and Lyndon Dykes, who have come into the squad after the team qualified and have improved the squad. They linked ever so well against Luxembourg. Um, Adams has got two goals in four caps. He got five in his last 11 in the Prem for Southampton. They, they, they did uh, link up really well. They got the only goal. However, they were very wasteful in front of goal as well. So that might, might give them something to think about. Um, he did play one up for many of his, his first couple of his first couple of years as manager. Um, so you might think that maybe Stuart Armstrong could come in playing off the striker or Ryan Christie as well. So there are a number of uh, important roles, not to mention the goalkeeper situation as well. Craig Gordon has not put a foot wrong and a hand wrong for Hearts this season in an abbreviated championship campaign. Um, but David Marshall has done ever so well in playoffs. It would be in the qualification. It would be a big call to take Marsh out. Um, David, I know you're in Darlington, but are you being attacked by a cow? <laughs> as, as soon as we started here, someone appeared at the door with a cherry picker. Can you hear that? <laughs> oh, well, at least it's a cherry picker and not a cow. That's the most important thing. Do you know what I really Maybe like? A cherry picker on it, on, uh, with a cow on it, of course. Yeah, it could be. Um, I um, I very much like that that central midfield area, McGregor, uh, McTominay, McGinn. It's a nice little neat triangle that all works together very well, isn't it? You know, they've all got legs. They can all get up and down the pitch. You know, certainly McGinn supports whoever is playing up front. He is a, a rich source of goals for Scotland. That central central three, I would have said until a week ago, that, that three would have picked itself, McGinn, McGregor and McTominay. McGregor, though, has had a tough season uh, for Celtic. He's been a terrific player for them, but he has looked uh, a shadow of himself this year. And I just wonder, I just wonder whether um, Steve might want to, to to make a change with Billy Gilmer coming in. I mean, would, would, has Billy Gilmer done enough? Is he okay? Is he, is he okay with his head? Because he got a real horrible whack in that Luxembourg game. Yeah, he tweeted <laughs> to say he would be. Oh. Yeah, he got, it was a really, it was a, it was an awful head knock. He got, um, he got up and they, they took him off um, after the game. Steve Clark said he was fine, but they would keep an eye on him. But it said mm. there was no suggestion of. Um, concussion protocols kicking in there, but he added such a verb um, to the team. He added uh, such you know energy and legs. Again, it's against ten man Luxembourg, so let's not get too carried away. But it's not often that a Scotland player arrives, makes his debut without ever having trained for the national team and with a Champions League winners medal in his hip pocket. <laughs> That's a nice little factoid for you, Cookie. You two are getting excited, by the way, now. <laughs> now the, 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 Do you know Jock my favourite stat about Billy Gilmore? You'll like this one, Sam. Go on. He's had more birthdays than he's made first-team appearances for Chelsea. <laughs> and he's only 19. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, when did you go up to Glasgow, 
Um, I will be flying up on Sunday morning, um, just in time to take in England's first game, and then it all gets underway for Scotland on Monday. I mean, you're talking about you don't necessarily need to win your first game. I think Scotland really do need to yeah. win their first game because David has already articulated this is the easier of the three fixtures. And from what I've seen, uh, more so against Holland than Luxembourg, it'd be difficult to gauge them against Luxembourg after the red card. I think Steve Clark, in truth, could have done without playing against 10 men because it wasn't really a true test. I thought they were Hang excellent on. against Holland. They played with confidence. Andy Robertson down that left-hand side is going to be a fantastic weapon. It's just a case of whether Adams and Dykes in particular um, can be more prolific in front of goal than they were in that friendly. Okay, and all right. Sam, unusually, down that left-hand side, Scotland benefit as well from something that I've never seen before, an overlapping centre-back. Yes. <laughs> need to get more down to Sheffield United. Yes. And listen, I can't believe the optimism, the optimism, the smiles on your two faces. This is going to be... I can see you dancing already. Come on. That is our new national anthem. Oh, the scenes were unbelievable, though, weren't they? When Marshall made that save, it was incredible. You could just see how happy everyone was. Um, but just going, that that Robertson, just going back to that Robertson, just going back to that Robertson, Tierna. I think that could be really dangerous for Scotland. I yeah. really do. Robertson's been superb this season. Um, been a big fan of his. I think he's matured really well. And obviously, Tierney, once he got over the injury problems, has proved himself to be one of the best left back, left centre house in the country. Um, so yeah, and, and you just mentioned, you just touched on the midfield there. I think Billy Gilmore could definitely do a job in there. I, I feel he's so talented. He's got no fear. Um, I know it was a cameo appearance, I know it was against Luxembourg, but he purrs with the way he walks around the pitch and his, his technical ability. And, you know, Steve Clark knows a lot about him because obviously his Chelsea background. I just feel that a player like that could be the difference for Scotland and it could be a very difficult task for England. David, quickly, tell us about the uh, the backstory to the uh, 1970s disco classic, Yes Sir, I Can Boogie by Baccarat, which has uh, swept the nation. Well, Andy Considine, the Aberdeen captain, went on a stag weekend and produced a high-quality video <laughs> of him singing that um, and dancing to it. He was in full drag, full makeup. I have to say, it looks good with a bit of rouge on him, there's Andy Considine. And uh, the lads managed to uh, <laughs> carry that vibe into the qualification process when Andy was in the squad. He's not in the squad, the final 26, um, but that's the story behind it. And isn't it an absolute cracker? Come on. Three points. Three points, Sam, if you can tell me the artist. Baccarat. Oh, three points. There you go. Come he's on. good points. at that. He, he's got That's, incredibly that, incredible music. That, that is my mm, game, yeah. I'm afraid. Name that tune. If it ever comes back on uh, television, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Um, right, David, thank you very much. It's been great to speak to you. Good luck over the tournament. I hope to see you very soon. It's lovely to see you with your Scotland jersey up, yes. Of course, I'm completely impartial. Yeah. Aren't we all? Uh, right. uh, thanks, David. David Tanner, who will be working with TalkSport over the course of the tournament. What a cracking tournament it is. Scotland involved in a major tournament for the first time in 23 years. Thanks, David. Cheers. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right, guys. What's the Cheers. season? Big See you later, David. David. Later. Thank you. Take it easy. Got to smash them, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're keeping that in the edit. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I noticed that Trevor was Scottish whilst David was on the call, and then he was like, "Oh yeah, let's smash them." Uh, right. Uh, the, also, England have got other opponents as well, haven't they? They've got the Czech Republic and Croatia uh, to get past, and so have Scotland as well. A quick word on both those two teams, because look, obviously Croatia are very well known to England and England fans because they played them so often. England have played them twice since the World Cup semi-final defeat in extra time in 2018. Haven't lost in either of those two games, suggests that they've learnt their lesson, although at a major tournament, things change very quickly. Slightly different team, no Rakitic in midfield, not as much control as a result of that. Modric is 35 now, but he's still some hell of a player. Um, they've got a slightly different attacking thrust as well. No Mandzukic, but they've got this huge striker, probably off the bench in Bruno Pekovic, who gives them a completely different approach should they need it. Yeah, he went two years uh, without scoring up until 2018, Petkovic, but he got four goals in qualifying, really underlying his importance uh, to the Croatian team. As you say, he's a focal point. He's a big, powerful specimen. Will probably be used as an impact sub. Um, one player who could lead the line is a name that will be familiar to Leicester City fans uh, in Andre Kramaric, yeah. a forgotten man, really, of their Premier League title win. But he has scored 14 goals uh, for his country. So he may not be a, a cult hero at Leicester, but certainly he has a part to play. I don't think Croatia are the force they were at the World Cup. You mentioned that Modric now is very much at the veteran stage of his career. They've lost a couple of key players from the team that made it all the way to the World Cup final. I don't think England should be in fear of this Croatia team. I, th I think we have enough attacking talent um, to really hurt them and get the, the campaign off to a good start. Yeah, I don't think they'll lose this game. What about the Czech Republic? Because they're seen as the weakest team in the group, really. I mean, even Scotland have sort of jumped up the rankings above them. Is that is that right, Trevor, do you think? I mean, Sufau and Suchek have done very yeah. well in the Premier League. But looking down that squad, is, there's a lot of players who played for Slavia Prague in the Europa League. Yes, and um, I feel people could be undermining them, um, underestimating them. Just touching back on Croatia um, as a country, and I know they've not got the talent that they may have had, you know, four, six years ago, um, but playing with Davos Suka and Igor Stimac, they've got a huge amount of pride about playing for the country. I think because of their history of war, I think because of the the harshness that they've had in their lives at times. I remember playing in Croatia and there was all shells and bullet holes in the, in the hotel. They have come from a hard background and I think they've got a togetherness. And when they get to these European, these major tournaments, they are in it. And it's almost like getting in the trenches with them. And they might not have the same talent as England, but we have to be ready to compete with them. Um, going on to um, Czech Republic. Yeah, I think they might be... Uh, bit of a dark horse I've got to be honest uh, I think they've got some good coaching going on there because they're producing great players and uh, yeah I, I'm not sure if they're going to be the weakest in the group yeah they didn't it's uh, interesting Sam it's interesting Sam that you mentioned the, the Slavia Prague connection because again that comes back to what I was saying about Scotland and, and being able to create that club mentality and of course they've got that in abundance with their two star players if you like Thomas Socek and Vladimir Sufau such big mates uh, at West Ham United and certainly in the case of the Scotland game I think the key battle there will be down the Czech right hand side Sufau against Robertson yeah. and, and the overlapping Tierney. I disagree with Trev. I, I do think the Czechs will be the weakest team in the group, and that's why it's so important that Scotland get off to a winning start. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. 
The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Okay, so England, Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland. We spent a lot of time doing that group. Obviously, a lot of the home nations are involved in it. What about Group F, the group of death? This is an amazing game and an amazing start to the second half. Hungary are back in front again. And he slams it past the goalkeeper and Portugal are 2-1 in front. The future is bright for Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo. Kylian Mbappe from distance. It's four and France are going to win the World Cup. It's back for Kroos. It is four. Three goals in two and a half minutes for Germany. Well, when England, Scotland, Czech Republic or Croatia get out of their group, very quickly they're going to bump into someone from Group F. And Group F is the group of death. If if there wasn't a a European Super League planned uh, for club sides and they were trying to put one together for national teams, it would probably be Group F. The world champions, France, the European champions, Portugal and serial winners, Germany, come up against Hungary who are playing two games in their brand new stadium. Kevin Hatchard has joined us for this section as well. Hi, Kev. Hi, guys. Nice to speak to you. Um, We'll talk about Germany in just a second. Let's start off by talking about France because going through through their squad, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but I look at them and I think they've got the best front line. They've got the best midfielder. They've probably got the best defence. The only area of weakness that I can find is, is their goalkeeper. Anybody else got any advances on France being the best team in the tournament? They are the strongest team. They're the strongest squads. It's interesting about Hugo Lloris because I think there is this perception and I understand why that he is below the elite level. And I think that's probably fair enough. But I think he's a good enough goalkeeper and he's an excellent captain. You know, he's not somebody that always rants and raves. He doesn't always uh, cut a very demonstrative figure. But players know 
that he can hit the roof if necessary. He's very good at knitting all of the groups of the squad together. He, he's a very good barometer, I think, for that squad. And he's been a very important leader for them. So I think any mistakes that he does make are offset, I think, in general by that. And I think every department of that squad is outrageously talented. They reckon Kareem Benzema has just got a knock from that game against Bulgaria. Yeah. So he's going to be fine. And we saw that Olivier Giroud is a more than capable deputy because he got two goals. So they are stacked pretty much everywhere. Is, is it fair to say, Kev, that almost the only team that can beat France are themselves? Because we have seen it at tournaments before when they seem to implode from within. Obviously, it's a big call from Didier Deschamps to, to bring Benzema back into the fold. Clearly, he feels now that isn't going to upset the harmony of the dressing room. If they're focused, if they're professional, they win the tournament, don't they? Well, they thought about the Benzema situation for a long time before they actually pulled the trigger on that one. So Didier Deschamps said that he had a long conversation with Benzema. Was it right for him? Was it right for us? And in the end, they concluded that it was going to be okay in the long term. And I think pragmatically, and he is a very pragmatic coach, both tactically and in terms of putting that squad together, he felt, look, this guy is the best striker I can call upon. And what he's done for Real Madrid and how he's developed as a striker at Real Madrid, that's worth any potential conflicts. And it seems as though Giroud has accepted it. It seems as though there, there aren't going to be any flare-ups between them. And he'd already set the template for this when he invited Adrian Rabiot back. Because if you remember, Rabiot yeah. was uh, a player that was on the, uh, the standby list for the World Cup and said, look, I should be in the squad. I don't want to be on the standby list. And Dejan went, fine. Well, you're not coming back. You're done as a, as a French player. And then he kind of softened on that and he brought Rabiot back. And I think having done that, that kind of smoothed the path for Benzema to come back, I think. He's not the only one who's had to bring players back into the fold, is he? Because Joachim Love is uh, leaving at the end of this tournament and he has had to eat a little bit of humble pie as well. Um. Germany's squad looks better now than it did even a year ago, doesn't it? I mean, the, the idea that uh, they could uh, operate without the likes of Hummels and Muller seems fanciful now. Well, what they've done is they've transitioned into win-now mode. It was all about looking ahead. It was all about being on a path towards what we can do in the future. I personally think it was partially about Yogi Love distancing himself from that debacle at the World Cup. Mm. Because if he can then convince everybody that, right, it's a new team, clean slate, we're building something, then it looks better for him. And, and I think there was an element of scapegoating about what happened to Jerome Boateng, Thomas Muller, and Matt Hummels. I said it was the wrong decision at the time, and I still believe that. And I think Muller particularly has responded to that fantastically well. I think over the last two years, he's played his best ever football. He has been absolutely sensational. So those guys have come back. I still think there are question marks. I still think as a team, they give away far too many cheap goals. They did it again against Latvia in that 7-1 win. Yogi Love was really angry about the way they conceded that goal. And I still think he hasn't quite got the balance right in terms of the pressing and the attacking side of the game either. So I was encouraged by the fact he moved Yorzo Kimmich to right wing back. I think that has to happen if they've got any chance of doing anything in this tournament. Trevor, how much respect do you get from the players when you admit that you've made a mistake and have to row back on that sort of clear out? 
Yeah, I think it's um, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, players will respect that. Uh, will respect the fact that I think the champs will have had serious conversations with a lot of the key players in that squad, a lot of the experienced players in that squad, to make sure that if he is considering that, that they're all spoken to first and they're all happy with that situation. That's obviously the case. So for me, Benzema's at his humble pie. He's he's accepted. He's made mistakes. And he's and he's probably been welcomed back in and and like Kevin just said, I think they're stronger now. You know, Benzema's movement. He, he's probably not going to get involved in the build-up play too much, but his movement and just that guile and that experience and then final thirds when the ball's going to come in, little reverse movements just to get that half a yard of space. And obviously, he's a clinical, deadly finisher. And I think for me, you know, you look at Mbappe and the chances that he's had even in the last couple of friendlies, he's had a lot of chances. When them, them chances are falling to Benzema, he's so clinical. And yeah, I think they're a very, very strong side. And I think the team that beats them is, is, is going to go on to win it. Mm, it. I mean, one of the teams that could beat them are Portugal. They're defending champions. They did beat them in the final uh, five years ago. And it's a very different Portugal squad than it was five years ago. And Alex Crook, it's a much better squad than it was five years ago. You took the words right out of my mouth. And, and unlike five years ago, they are no longer almost solely reliant on, on Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think that's the biggest compliment that you can pay the rest of the team now. And you talk about any positional weaknesses. I think Rui Patricio is, is a solid enough goalkeeper, probably on a par for me with Hugo Lloris. And, and you look at the, the back four now, Cancelo, who for me had an excellent season at Manchester City, Diaz, most people's player of the year. They're going to give you a, a fantastic... Pepe, don't forget Pepe. He's about 145. He's older than he's Trevor, horrible. but he's still playing. He's horrible as well. He is one of the I was about to mention him. And you, you, you play. You, I look at him as a player and think I would hate to have played against him. But then I look at him and think, if he was in my team, I'd adore him. Because he just... I mean, talk about a player that gets under the skin of the opposition. He is that player personified. And he'll be great for them. Strong in midfield as well. It with Martinho and Danilo. William Carvalho is available as well. Jota, Miranda, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, uh, Ronaldo. They're not short of options, Kevin, are they? No, and that's before you even get to Joao Felix, who hasn't had the season he wanted at Atletico Madrid, but he is a Spanish champion now. And they have a real challenge in the sense that Fernando Santos, the coach, has to find a way of getting the right balance between attack and defense. He, by nature, is a pragmatic coach. He will get really angry about defensive lapses, even though he's got all of this attacking talent in the team. You look at that defensive midfield area, and that could be the key. You know, William Carvalho didn't have a great season at, at club level. Danilo's played a lot of centre-back. Yes, for PSG. Palinia, you know, is, is a player who I know Fernando Santos really rates, and so he could get some game time. So they've got plenty of defensive midfielders. Joao Moutinho, we wonder if he's fully fit. So there are a few question marks in that area, but in terms of defense, central defensive strength, Ruben Diaz, who you mentioned, Pepe, but also Joseph Font, who's just won a title uh, with Lille. So... They have some real experience back there. Um, okay, here's a quiz question for you. Not you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> which, Por- which Portugal player scored more goals in the Bundesliga than Erling brought Haaland? Well, that is a good quiz question, which Kev would definitely oh. be able to answer. I, I'm scratching around. Is it silver? Which silver? 
Quicksilver. Any silver. Huh? Andre. Andre Silva. Well done. If I track Frankfurt, scored more goals in the Bundesliga than Holland. Uh, so well done uh, to him. He's another option. He hasn't really ever lived up to a sort of billing, really. He's never really sort of settled at club level. He's been moved around a lot. And Frankfurt actually has found a bit of a home, hasn't he, Kevin? Yeah, he has. Uh, and I think there's been a certain element of him finding maturity. I think he admitted that when he arrived in Germany. He said, look, I want to learn the language. I want to settle. I want to show that I can go to the next level. And he scores all types of goals. You can play it in front of him, down the channels, and he'll score. He can snap up chances in the box. He attacks the ball in the air superbly well. And he has just improved and improved and improved. And if you look at Frankfurt, under Adi Huta, they've been a, a team that really pushes strikers on. They had the incredible forward line with Luka Jovic and Ante Rebic and Sebastian Allaire. And since those guys left, it's only really Rabich who's been able to kick on. So it's been a really good environment for strikers. And there's a good chance that he starts in the centre of that forward three. OK, who goes through from uh, the group of death then? What do we reckon? Crook, who's your three to go through? We, we're guessing three well, because you have to be really well, bad to go out. <laughs> I mean, we didn't mention well, Hungary. They're, they're, they're at home say. twice and they're, they're not bad, but they haven't got Zaboslai. And that's a big blow. Uh, I feel for them because I was actually touting that they would be able to cause one of the big guns an upset with home advantage with Shabozlai, but without him, I think it's a, a tall order. So I think France will win the group. I think Portugal will finish second and I think Germany will be third. Trevor? Yeah, pretty much the same. I think France are going to be too strong. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Hungary will just not have enough. Well, Hungary had a very good game against Portugal in the last European Championships, didn't they, Kevin? Yeah, but look, they're a good side. I mean, they wouldn't have got this far if they weren't, but Soboslai being out is massive because he's the creative spark. He's the guy that when you've battled away for 85 minutes to keep yourself in the game, he's the one that can whack one in the top corner yeah. and suddenly you've got a result you didn't expect. So without him there, it's all a bit pedestrian. Asm Soloy and Roland Shalai probably the furthest forward those players they're good players but they're not great players and you know adam adam sole in particular hasn't played a lot of club level this season so i would worry about them going forward okay so who are your three to go through same as the other guys i, I think france will win the group i think portugal will go through as a second place team and then i think germany will go through third i think it's going to be some fantastic football in that group okay i'm going to go portugal win the group Mm. France second, Germany third, and I think it'll be touching. You're banking Joe. on France starting slowly, aren't you? I am banking on France starting slowly. Uh, okay, listen, thank you very much uh, for your contributions to this pod. Kevin, Alex, and I will be back within about a few hours on this feed in order for you to be able to download part two of our preview for groups A, B, C, and E. Trevor. Have a great tournament. Enjoy it. We, we can't Ciao. wait to work with you again all over the summer. So we're looking forward to hearing from you. Um, and uh, just remember, you're English all of the time. You can't just, just try and find some govern roots as soon as you see a Scotsman. All right. Okay. It's not. Okay. No problem. Yeah. All right. Okay, try and stick, stick to the plan. Uh, love's got the world in motion. We'll see you soon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. 
The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channel Eyes Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.